0: Hello and welcome to Academy Conversations Uncut, a podcast of rare Q and A's with the world's foremost filmmakers, hosted by the Academy and released for the first time to the public, unedited. Today's panel was recorded in December 2019 at the Samuel Goldwyn Theater in Beverly Hills, California. Discussing the movie, Uncut Gems, a tense thriller following a gambling-addicted jeweler risking everything on a raw stone. We were joined by writer, director, and editors, Josh and Benny Safdie, actors Adam Sandler and Julia Fox. The panel was hosted by Steve Adams. Here's Steve.
1: Good evening, I'm your moderator, Steven Adams, and I'd like to bring to the stage the directors, Josh and Benny Safdie. And Julia Fox. And last but not least, Adam Sandler. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. How beautiful theater you have here. So this film, man, had me on the edge of my seat from the beginning to the end. It's it starts off in an unexpected way, drops you down a rabbit hole, and you might have in a different hole altogether. You know, it's uh, it's, it's 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 it it's. Such an exploration of so many things—you guys get to the meaning of family, the NBA, what's true and false, values, addiction, romance, uh, Jewish culture, intersections of Jewish culture and Black culture. I mean, I'm luck, superstition, value, lack of value. I mean, it's 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 insane and such an accomplishment. Passion, really, optimism, passion, optimism—all yeah, yeah. those good words. So you know, every story has, has an origin, and I mean, this one has a, this has got a long backstory. Can you guys tell us a little bit how this thing came to life? Yeah, so we spent ten years working
2: on this movie. Uh, wow. Yeah, it started. The first draft was we started. We wrote it in two thousand nine, and then there was about a hundred and sixty subsequent drafts. Uh, but and I say that and I don't. So for all the writers in the audience, as a lesson, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, the three or four times it was a page one rewrite. Wow. Um, more every he always died at the end. That was some. This is a parable. We 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 always right. knew he he needed to die at the end, but. Uh, it, you, I would say that, you know, there was more drafts, but I changed computers a few times, so I probably lost a couple uh, over <laughs> 10 years that happens. It started w- initially with this kind of, uh, in with, with a, an, an, a nostalgic sense, it was a, a, a burning desire to kind of put these pulp non-fictions that our dad would tell, because he worked in the Diamond District for a runner slash salesman who was not not howard you know he was right. kind of like a, you know he was a dreamer and he was over a compensator and he you know was just trying to earn his place uh but but it was he's not the character um and still the, living he, i hope he, he uh he, our, our dad's yes our dad is yes, yes uh the the guy he worked for I haven't been able to get in touch with him i wanted to show him the movie i haven't been able to get in touch with him uh but he was kind of the, when I reconnected with him, he's like, your dad owes me $3,000. And I was like, I was like, what? Uh, And he was quick to tell me that. Um, But, but uh, yeah, so, you know, over the 10 years, you know, you, you, um, you know, we wrote the film with Ronald Bronstein and, and, uh, you know, we, at some point this, plot and then fiction becomes part of your life and if you were to look at my journals over the past 10 years they're bizarre because it's just howard this howard that but they're it's my life i'm saying howard in regards to my own life so i'm spinning my own experiences through the fiction and trying to understand my what i'm going through and and uh things ideas i'm having so it it's tough it's tough to allocate how this thing becomes so layered yeah because everything is thought
3: out and then in addition to that it's not like there was this it, it was this weight like, we wanted to make this movie, it was gonna, we thought, oh, we're going to be 78 years old by the time we make this movie. <laughs> but at what ended up happening was... Is Nothing it, wrong with being 78. No, I'm saying, but when you're... Absolutely not. I'm saying, but no, I'm not saying that. I was saying, <laughs> I know, when joking. we started at 20, it was like, oh, it's going to take us 50 years to make this thing. That's when it's going to finally get there. Um, what ended up happening, though, was you make this movie, and like, okay, after we make Daddy Long, our first film, like, all right, Uncut Gems is next. And then you are, you think you've arrived, and everybody's like, "Nope, sorry, you can't do that." At like the, the the culture at large, you know, Hollywood at large, is saying you're not allowed to do that yet. So then you make a movie that's related. You know, it was a documentary about a basketball player. So you make all these twists and turns, but it ends up deepening. Your ideas and your uh, the thought process and how things go and educating. educational detours yeah. is what yes. they
2: were. Every film was an education to make this one better. And we you went th- out to you didn't know yeah. we we had a, we had a, our, our first film. Our, it was a small film we had at the Cannes Film Festival. and We thought we were gonna. I was twenty five at the time and I was just like you know, which is absurd to think. And I, we thought we could take that modicum of success <laughs> but, and go after Adam Sandler. And we had no right to go
3: after Adam Sandler. We didn't earn that right. And the I script like Adam to weigh in on that. <laughs> yeah. what, Yes, right. <laughs> Howard. Howard always died, and we always wanted Adam because we knew the movie wouldn't work without him. Yes, you know? you're right. yeah. and so
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're darn right. Gentleman so, <laughs> up here said you're right. So speaking of that, Adam,
2: no. this is your second time. <laughs> right away. Uh, how was it the second time? It's it's yeah. it, it, well, it's a right. little bit more predictable, right? <laughs> I,
1: can't. <laughs> but I think, you know, given the layered nature of this film, I'm sure you probably noticed new things the second time around. Well, because there's like a eulogy yeah. in a weird way. Yeah.
4: Sorry, right. Yeah, yeah.
1: But speaking of, you know, Adam Sandler. Hello. Uh, you know, so they, so they, they say they approached you at Cannes. Did that actually happen?
4: No. <laughs> I mean, I, I never, I never t- I talked to him. I, right. never, I, never, I, I do apologize for the way I'm dressed. I know it doesn't look good. My kid, <laughs> my kid uh, uh, has a Spanish test tomorrow. I was studying Spanish with her. I kept saying, I gotta get, I gotta change. And she.
5: You always look like that.
4: I know. But for the, the insights, you people, throw a coat on. I've been here one other time. I swear to God, I had a nice jacket. I was ready to go, but my kid has the test and all. And I kept saying, I do gotta change. And she said, please, uh, not, not yet. And so I got late. Sorry about this sweatshirt and the corduroys.
1: <laughs> and Julia, but you're warm.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am warm. But uh, no, I did not hear about the uh, the script coming my way ten years ago. I did not. I have uh, people who represent me that took it upon themselves to say no to you guys, and and uh, I was <laughs> I had other stuff to do. But but um, <laughs> but no. What happened eventually was, yes. if you don't know, have you heard this story yet, Julia? She's tuning out. <laughs> I got good stuff. I usually
5: do when you're talking.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, uh, I was going to Cannes yes. for the Meyerowitz. Stores. This was in twenty two years ago, right? Twenty, 20 seventeen, yeah. yeah, right. And then, yeah. um, and my agency kept saying the Safty brothers want to meet you, and I didn't know who they were. So I said, "Why do I need to meet the Safdie brothers?" They said they're young, very good filmmakers. They're very hip. They said hip. God. I don't consider you guys hip. Now that I know you, I consider you very, uh, just, I wouldn't use that word. I would just say, but at the time I thought it was like they were skateboarders or something like that. And I said, I don't, I said, I, I don't have time for the Safety brothers. Let me just do the Meyerowitz source. And then when I came back after Can, um, they said to me, will you please just look at one of their movies? So I saw Good Time and I was a I could not believe how great that movie was, and I was. Then I watched all their movies, and I was dying to meet them. And I and I, I said, "Yeah, yeah." And I texted these guys, right? Yeah. I texted, yeah. Um, I said nice stuff, and then they sent me the script, and I read it, and I couldn't believe. By the way, what a script to get, and what a like uh, as an actor, you're just like. Every scene, you say, "Well, that is an incredible scene." That's just scene after scene was exciting, and and I was afraid and scared at home. And my wife said, "You can do this," and all that stuff. But I was I was terrified at the beginning.
1: Well, let's talk about some of the reasons why you should be afraid of a role like that. Because I can think of a few. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 challenging.
4: It's challenging. Uh, I don't love having. I don't love being naked. <laughs> It's something that never goes well, even without cameras rolling. i'm like
1: gotta be naked, even walking from the bathroom to the bedroom and, and the colonoscopy was a stock footage you we know, sure everybody knows that right That was not
4: that was my colonoscopy. Everything's clear <laughs> but uh yeah, no, I was scared of so many things, but i lo- I loved it I loved it I was excited um, just a just scene after scene was a different. Emotion a different thought a different way to go at things and I never saw anything coming when I read this script I never I had no idea what was happening and what was going to happen to Howard and and uh, and Julia and um, Anyways, uh, it was once I was in and once I sat down with the, the guys and we just talked and talked and talked I felt more and more confident for sure
2: I mean we we I remember uh, when we when we first started talking about the the role uh, you know and now you, you you know you say it eloquently is that he doesn't he does bad things but he's not a bad person right. and that he's and that's the the aspirational qualities i mean gamblers are the most optimistic people in the world you know like they're nauseatingly so uh and and they you know they're also aspirational and and i think that the the dreamer part of it, you know, the part of it that, you know, when I would say, you know, that the that the character is born out of a certain 20th century type of Jew who's like wanting to earn his place, you know, a Rodney Dangerfield, for example. When I say Rodney, you know, some Sand that's Sandler's hero, you know, uh, and and Rodney gets no respect, and you know the the that concept. I think that's when it started to hit, and then once we got into it. You know that was the you know we grew up loving his comedy records and his movies and and um, yeah, you know the, and the
3: he has this incredible ability to like realize the most absurd situations and make them feel so intense and real to an audience. You know if you take you you take these people in and it just becomes a whole other thing.
2: Well, that's the thing that I that you know that you don't when you from someone from a from afar you can admire you the work obviously like he's the only person who can make all those movies, not only work, but iconic. Uh, there's like a, a Jerry Lewis quality almost going on there. and. But you, so you admire and you, you know, the heroic to us, but then when you get to know him and work with him, you get to admire the work ethic. And that was crazy. That was like, I hadn't seen work. You know, I, my work ethic is disgusting to anyone who loves me. They hate it. It's just like, enough. 160 i 160 rewrites. I think there's evidence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a life. Uh, my life is the work. So, uh, but, but you know, his, the work ethic was, it was great. Cause it was like kindred spirits and, and it was
4: all out of fear. Fear, because I just love the movie so much. And I just, the reason I work so hard with you guys and I, you, I like to work hard, but I just didn't want to, to waste this performance. I just wanted to, it was such a... But you spent so much time with so many different jewelers and yes. trailing people and why. Send just, wanted more to me, yeah. just wanted to make sure I knew I was doing scenes with real jewelers and I didn't want them to look at me and say, "What well, what was that? <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to make sure I knew their world as much as I could. And then gamblers, yes. I wanted to know their world as much as I could and... You guys and, and and Julia, anything you want to say?
1: Oh, I I, I, <laughs> I have some questions for Julia. Before yeah. we before I, we for, before we say that, I want to say this though. This is her first feature film. Yeah. Right? Yes, which yes. is yeah. incredible. I mean, I think the work work you did was just stunning. And I wanted Thank to you. ask you, how did you prepare to do such a large role? Such a Crazy role, this sort of this bad romance going on between these two people, with you know the delusions, the self-deception, the greed, and the love. It's such an interesting, complicated world, and you you acquitted it beautifully. So how did how did all that, um, that come together for you?
5: Well, I didn't really prepare um, that much because I was told by Josh Safdie not to take acting lessons. So I basically just like went to the gym a lot and ate well and, and just.
1: Smith and Malinsky. <laughs> <laughs>
5: and um, yeah, I remember getting to set and just being like, what if I can't act? Like, what if I tricked all these people into thinking I can do this? And that screen test I had that day, just miraculously I could act that one day and I'll never be able to again. And and so after the first day, I was very relieved. I got through it and then and I, I just I. Got that boost of confidence, and I was like, okay, I can do this. And I had an incredible teacher, you know, just watching him and and how he just can just let himself go and and really embody this character, put his ego aside, and just like, you know, really immerse himself and, and lose himself. That was. You, know, you
4: certainly I, did that. <laughs> you? you were free, uh, so free. So <laughs> the first, if um, we always talk about this, but the first scene we did together, was a scene when I come home and and uh, Julius uh, been up all night and um uh, Josh, you want to say what what Julia did?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh in this. It's in the credit sequence now. Actually, in the original in the script, it was a six-page scene. Uh, it wasn't it was designed to be part of a credit sequence. Uh, in the edit that I meant, yeah, different. it was shot yeah. and it was yeah uh, yeah. Uh, but I but, ju the character was supposed to, had supposed to been up all night. So Julia. Thought she would be method about it, and just decided to not, not stay up all night. So she showed up to six-page scene uh, with no sleep, and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was great because, but you know, it was, and, there's, and it's a very difficult scene. If you read the actual the the way it existed, it was, had a lot of it had a, a lot of ups and downs, and it was on the page. It was this one scene where the 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 plotting that we were trying to do from on high always felt exposed and and we all and you know as directors you just think okay when we get on the set the actors will make it alive and that stuff that you're self-conscious about will actually disappear and and the two of them i mean in particular you know julia no you know like sandler standing above but the way that you were able to i mean it's a great moment when you're just like do you want to stay mad or do you want to you know, get in bed and cuddle and the way that you you just know everything about the couple in that moment and uh but i remember you were you were like you were tired you, yeah. you were just, and, and i we were all like we were all nervous because it's like you didn't sleep this is a lot of pages to get through and uh if you know at, with dialogue the whole the whole script and we would we had the benefit of following sandler's um a uh, fifty-city tour for his comedy special, and and you know which was three and a half hours of material every night. I mean, you only get to see an hour and a half in the special, but it's a lot. And we had we, it was almost like I've never seen anything like it. The way he was able to memorize dialogue. At one point, we wrote a new monologue, uh, the one opposite Tilda Swinton on the phone yes. uh, um, uh, the, with the auction manager. We, we changed that up last second, and it was like a page and a half monologue. <laughs> and I thought that we sent it before lunch started, but we just for, didn't. We thought we did. So he came up to me. He's like, what's up with the uh, – you, did you end up changing the dial? I was like, yeah, you didn't get it. He's like, no, I never got it. And uh, he's like, oh, no, here you go. And you, that's when you feel like a piece of shit uh, director. You're going to give a guy a <laughs> page and a half of monologue. And he just went up to the side for 15 minutes or something. I'd never seen anything like it before. And he came in, he's like, all right, I, I'm going to try to get as much as I can. And uh, and and he did it. I mean, it was amazing. Incredible.
1: So speaking of casting, you have Kevin Garnett
3: mm-hmm. and The Weeknd. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a long story between behind the casting of Kevin Garnett. And can you tell us a little bit about how that finally happened? Yeah, Garnett was, uh, we start, again,
2: like I said, this is a 10-year process. So 10 years ago, this started. Uh, as a contemporary film about the knicks in 2010 uh, and we, we we cast amari stoudemire we, he was attached and the themes of the movie you know this is not a cameo it's a central Character to the film, so you know the we wrote around uh, Amare and his personality and his own motivations and quirks, and he's a Jewish person, so the Beta Israelites in Ethiopia was a part of the movie, uh, and then at some point uh, our agency said, let's cast it up, go, let's try for Kobe Bryant. It's like Kobe Bryant, I don't only really buy him in this world. He's a West Coast guy and East Coast game doesn't make any sense, and uh, but I tried and I was like, you know what? And I figured we'll center it around the, the MSG uh, 60 point game, and it'll be. About a youth elixir. The gem will be about becoming the man again. Because that's Howard, too. And, uh, and then finally, the agency's like, "Where is it? He, he, he needs it. You got to act quick with guys like this." And and uh, I was like, "Give me a second. I got to rewrite the script." And uh, and then I finally I finished it. And I was like, "All right, here it is." Like, "Oh, actually, he doesn't want to act. He wants to direct." So we're not going to send it to him. And I was like, <laughs> just, "People just think he just hit Apple P. You know what I mean?" And just right. print. Uh, so then we then we went for a contemporary player, and it was attached to uh, to Joel Embiid for a while. It was on the 76ers. and he's a player from Cameroon. Cameroon yeah, and uh, you know. The themes of the movie obviously align nicely with a, with an African player because it became about reclamation and empowerment through reclamation and and uh, it was Joel until four months before the movie started. Then the production slipped into the season and we couldn't use an active player anymore. Uh, and and I believe everything happens for a reason. Uh, Kevin's the only person I can ever really again imagine this movie really working. And if you talk to players who played with him, they said this is something that would happen to Kevin. And uh, <laughs> you know, and he's just and he. We found out recently that he was obsessed with wrestling when he was a kid, which makes sense because he was a, a he was like a heel. You know, he like,
3: would. Yeah, the thing is, like we hated him as Knicks fans because he would go into these places, twenty thousand people, and he would just perform as the enemy. So he's embodying this persona and then acting it out in front of all these people and then the way he told his stories he would give it shape, change it up but I think it's important to just say that like we would always wanted a real basketball player and these real games because when you see something like that in this movie it feels so real even though it isn't you know but you're like wait there he's actually watching that game i right think seeing you know,
2: reality for re- sure. reflected on screen in a thriller in particular just adds a lot it compounds the tension and then, because you just there's no the suspension of disbelief is out the wind is, is is fortified
3: and then on top of that when you have somebody who is kind of bringing their real life kind of baggage to the the part what that does to like like a professional actor, it's it's kind of an interesting alchemy that happens where somebody's coming and say, oh, I don't want to be fake to that real person, and then the real person's like, well, I don't want to be a bad actor to the to one of these legends, you know. There was such great chemistry between the two of you. I loved, yeah, I loved, yeah. and and there was that one scene where you
1: explained about the garnet, and I understand that was something that you sort of uh, brought to yeah, the yeah, game yeah, there. Sure, sure. Yes.
4: I, I, it's a stone, so I thought maybe we should mention that. But um, uh, Kevin. Um, and, and, and when we did scenes with groups of people, when we did one-on-one scenes, he was so focused. And so um, Lakeith uh, is incredible in the movie. And Lakeith, we, we, uh, we always talk about he before the camera. Lakeith stays in character a lot when, when we're not rolling or minutes before rolling. we improv improving, so we come in, you know, by the time uh, we get to the scene, it feels like it's you know just natural conversation that we led into and uh kevin garnett saw lakeith doing this and he started doing it and then that became his habit also but he was a natural he was amazingly focused and present and didn't was not unsure ever Mm -hmm. he just was like in every scene and and responded and it was improvising sometimes and he was so on it it was uh, c- incredible, actually. i I've never. We were all admired how how
3: great KG was. People, people were like, "Are you sure he's not an actor who became a basketball player?" You know, because it was just don't but get it, don't get it
2: twisted. As a Nick fan, this was very difficult. <laughs> it was very difficult to to not only work with and collaborate, but get to know on a deep level someone who just <laughs> we just took so much pleasure across the line, in so to speak. We did get <laughs> some inside
3: stories on a lot of the uh, the legends that he was a part of. Oh this. man, I bet. <laughs> That'll have to be off
1: off mic. And then, of course, there's the weekend where you got to make out, so to speak, and then you got into a fight. That was another, that's another interesting piece of casting awesome. that fits into your time frame. By the way, this is set in 2012 Correct. for reasons. So all that kind of fits together. Yeah, the 2012
2: element, weirdly enough, the 2012 element, the, the movie was going to take place whenever these games were going to exist. It's centered around the player. Uh, weirdly enough, there's a you know, if you go down the rabbit hole of research, in 2012 in Ethiopia, there was a, a huge discovery of black, precious black opal. And and uh, actually in building our prop for the movie, which said those are all real... Precious black opals embedded into a fake matrix, uh, but but you know, and to convince the Australians to let us use their precious black opals was hard okay, because you've got opposing well, be, markets. Well, because okay. they they don't like they didn't like the discovery of black opals in Ethiopia that put that hurt their their industry. So they and I was trying to explain to them, and this movie's gonna be good PR for black opals because I think the opal in general has gotten a bad rap over the years. But I was like, you need some De Beers <laughs> style
3: PR here. I, let's I let's like, juice like, this up. We'll get you into pop but, culture. But bit. once we like with with Garnett, once he was attached, we looked through his career because the weekend we could only go as early as 2012. It was that's yeah, that we first started, and, yeah. but then we're looking at Garnett's games, and he only had those three games in that order. So it was like a, such a needle in the haystack. Wow, for everything that had to happen,
2: and, and yeah, and, and and we knew like Benny was saying with with Abel, you hit his public appearance, you started and kind of late 2011 2012 was like when he first moved uh, went to new york for the first time so but he was a mysterious that's when that trilogy the trilogy came out so and he we met him through a movie called heaven knows what that that um that that also scorsese attached himself to, to this film after after seeing that movie as well uh and that movie uses reality in a crazy way and uh yeah and then we became friends and then after and then he asked me to read the script just as a curious person he loves movies and he read the script and at the time it was a it was a, a fictional rapper named privilege and uh he uh he just was like I, this is incredible this script and he loved howard and uh and and he's just like i want to be a part of it so we he's i said all right let me rewrite this and we it was when he was contemporary. It was, I think, it was a big. I think it's actually lucky that the movie wasn't contemporary because it would have had to take place in Madison Square Garden because
3: <laughs> that guy's not sh- doing co- shows at One Oak. The thing is, you guys did that stunt. Those are like that's that's uh, Sandler and the Weekend rolling around on the floor. That's crazy.
4: Fifty-three year old man. <laughs> the Weekend is so what twenty-nine Gosh. or something he didn't he didn't stretch out i stretched <laughs> out for about 45 minutes before that But
3: <laughs> when, when eric when eric first saw like the the scene where we were coming out of the 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 school and you were running out of the school and getting tackled eric is sitting in that car and bogosian yeah. B- eric bogosian and he's just like all right, I guess this is a different kind of movie because he's like, he saw Adam running out full speed, chased by these three guys, oh, and you yeah. just took it all.
4: So, I know, yeah. Oh, so go, yeah. please. I was going to say that a lot of the actors were, were, it was their first time these guys who were beating me up in the car were not actors and, they did, and there was a stunt coordinator that they ignored. So it's like he didn't say a word. They were like, come close to hitting Adam. They were just staring like, Hit Adam. And, uh, <laughs> no, you can pretend, and Adam will react like he got hit. I don't understand that. I'm going to hit Adam, and it'll look like I hit him. Yeah, These right, are the
1: pitfalls with. of not professional actors. Exactly. Yeah. So we don't have a lot of time left, so I want to talk a little bit about sound. We have a very complex sound design. In fact, I understand you have a 45-page ADR script. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So can you break that down a little bit? Not in, not in 45 minutes though. <laughs> uh, Try to include Julia in on this story okay, So, so yeah.
2: Julia was the sound mixer. <laughs> uh, uh, Skip Livsey, who did our sound mix, he was you know he did, you know won the Oscar with Gravity and did such great work on Roma. He he was encouraging us to use Atmos in a cool way. I think you guys just watched it Atmos. But yeah, we, we you know, on set we we encouraged uh
3: people to It'll be live. We know the, the phrase quiet, please. Yeah, you're not heard often. Can, you can jump onto the other, yeah. you can do you can jump onto the other actor. You can you don't have to kind of worry about that. So it makes the, our life know. really difficult in the edit, right. but it allows the performances to be, feel very alive.
4: Nobody shied away from that once you gave that rule. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Everybody's like, I can say more lines than you wrote for me. <laughs> and so everybody in the in the scene was really But then going and then, at,
2: then afterwards, we we you know, I sent Scott Rudin, I said, Hey, just so you're aware, this is the approval for the ADR. He's like, there's like three or four loop thing, looping things we got to do to fix it. I don't have to approve that. I was like, no, but you should check it out. He sent, I sent him a 45-page PDF. <laughs> He's like, what is this? And I said, oh, that's the ADR script. He's like, I don't get it. Who are these characters? i never heard of these characters. Like, So these are the people having conversations in the background. In the background. Yeah, and sometimes, and then we had to come up with a happy medium of well, yeah, how to make it
3: sonically work. The, and the goal is like there's so much going on in certain points because – for us, it, to feel real, you needed to kind of feel the city through the walls, hear the siren, you know. Um, and in the, in the showroom, you need to hear the buzzers, the cell phones going off. And I, it was funny when talking to Skip, he mentioned, he's like, it's like documentary Atmos is how he well, described it. Well, the, even the visuals are a lot, they have that, that in common as well. There's exactly, a very, exactly. there's a, for me, I felt like there was a
1: very 1970s feeling to all that. Any 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 inspirations in that? choice. Yeah,
3: have-
2: well, I mean we used I think your, with a lot of the lenses we used were were older gla- glass that Darius, you know, has been shooting on for a long time. But
3: yeah, like Altman is a, is a massive influence, you know, and just the way that he had that overlapping dialogue. What made it hard for us was to do all of that and also get the shot reverse shot in because we didn't have the two cameras cross cutting each other. So you had to kind of make it seem like that was the case and it's almost the at times impossible. All right, we've got to wrap up. So I want Julia, your last question, what was the
1: biggest thing you learned on this on this experience? Oh, of
5: course, the hardest question. The hardest question. Most of me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, aside the fact that I can act and I'm good at it. Yeah. Uh, and I
1: think we, we can all agree with that. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, that's good enough. That's, that's fine with me. <laughs> that's an excellent note to end on. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for hey, thank doing the oh, thank, thank you. Nice thank you, everybody. Very good talking to you. Thank
4: you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That was really nice.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to Academy Conversations Uncut. We hope you enjoyed this unique access to a members only Q&A at the Academy. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe and help us reach film lovers around the world. This podcast was produced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.